welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Tude. Hello and welcome. It is indeed Album Nerds Podcast time once again. It is I, Dude. I've got Andy and Don with me. Andy. Yo. How's life? Yeah, How you doing? I'm excited. I got my uh, I got my tuxedo on. Got all gussied up here for the the big show here. The big uh, presentation of these uh, nominations. Yeah, for those folks that can't see Andy, he's wearing a black T-shirt with some kind of design on it. He's lying to you. Oh, wow. Don, it's underneath. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm I'm well. Cricket, cricket. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are the king of crickets here at the top of the show. King of it takes a while. The batteries have to charge yeah. uh, for Don, but he, he comes out swinging when the time is right. All right, so uh, we are the album nerds. We love talking about albums and the album format. Format. <laughs> and the album format. We love it. We do. So we'll be talking about three today. We'll be answering a question. We'll be spinning that wheel of musical destiny to find out what kind of albums we'll talk about next time. But this week, oh, I don't know about you guys, but I've been getting itchy to talk about <laughs> albums that I really, really love. So, so the Ainhoffs have flamed up again. Album Nerds Hall of Fame. That's what I'm talking about. Today, each of us is going to nominate a record for the Album Nerds Hall of Fame or Ainhoff. A Hall of Fame record represents the, the highest level of music in its genre and time period. It should excel as a cohesive whole and exceed 25 minutes in length. It should have old dog status, which means uh, five years or older. Uh, and to be inducted, a record must be agreed upon by all three hosts or by two hosts and a listener majority. Ooh, yes. Oh. I missed that. Yeah. Been a while since we <laughs> What's the deal, guys? I mean, how do you feel about this process and, and what, what goes through your head as you're trying to choose an album from all the things we might love that, that we want to celebrate here? It's a good question. It's, it's hard to pick because, like, I mean, we're, I guess for me, it, it comes down to, like, if you could really, you know, if you had, like, the elevator pitch for someone, like an alien came to this planet, you're riding down an elevator with them for some reason, you only recommend an album or two. For them to take back to their home planet, these would be, I guess, wow. the ones that I would, I would suggest. Okay, so your vision of running into an alien would be on an elevator. Okay, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. interesting. Get the elevator okay. pitch. You have to be in an elevator. <laughs> yeah, I guess what I struggle with is picking an album that I just love. You know, so the one I listen to all the time and you know is my favorite, or is it something more that has to be sort of significant and influential? You know, because there's lots of records that I love that you know probably don't don't fit that category. So I kind of I kind of struggle with with that distinction. It's just, what do I want to talk about, right? I mean, it gives me an opportunity to talk about an album I love or respect or both most of the time. But yeah, I think an element of they bring the band or artist brings something unique to the table in some fashion is important. I think it's really more about bringing stuff that we're excited about to the people. And then that hall of fame designation, I think just gives it a little more clout and maybe someone will be messing around on our website, see that and go check something out. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing about doing this with just kind of like on our podcast and having this be the album nerds hall of fame is we can kind of give our own, 
personal flavor and taste in here a little bit and not worried so much about the musical landscape or the popular opinion necessarily all right with all that being said let's get to the meat and potatoes here let's get to the music let's kick off the Ainhoffs. <laughs> All right. Well, for my nomination in the uh, summer 2022 Ainhoffs, I'm going to select the Jimi Hendrix Experience and their 1968 album Electric Ladylands. Feels like a slam dunk to me, but I am so curious to dig into this record with you guys. Why don't we kick things off with a little taste of Voodoo Child? No, he could have used Tony Williams on that. <laughs> Just saying. As well, it's a voodoo child or voodoo chili, as I like to say. <laughs> right, so, Electric Land is the third and final studio album for Jimi Hendrix Experience. Got Jimi Hendrix, obviously, on vocals and lead guitar. Noel Redding on bass and Mitch Mitchell on drums. This was their best-selling record, and it's known for its kind of use of some innovative studio techniques, such as back masking. It's kind of when you play any type of audio backwards on the record. Um, also has some interesting echo and flanging techniques kind of interspersed throughout to kind of give it that spacey, psychedelic vibe. A um, couple interesting notes during the production of this record. The uh, original producer, Chaz Chandler, ended up quitting uh, midway through recording, and Jimmy took over and is listed as the official producer on the record. Apparently, the recording process was a little bit tumultuous. A lot of uh, a lot of people kind of in and around and hanging out in the studio, causing unnecessary drama. You can hear it, especially on Voodoo Child there on that track. There's like just some discussion with seemingly random people <laughs> who are in the studio kind of towards the end of the track. And it gives it a weird and interesting vibe. I think uh, Chandler was like, could there be more people in the studio? <laughs> <laughs> Bing! <laughs> oh, Don. That was nice. <laughs> 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 All right. Alright, so my three words for this record were four-sided psychedelic masterpiece. What do you guys think of Electric Ladyland? Damn, I didn't realize you you used masterpiece too. Uh, so my three words were psychedelic rock masterpiece, you know, because it I mean, I think it really, you know, set the tone for um, you know, so much rock that that came afterwards. You know, that guitar sound is, you know, I mean, it really I, th- I think changed uh, changed music. And I, I mean, I don't, I think you could choose any of the, you know, the, the three Hendrix albums, you know, for the, the hall of fame. Um, but this, you know, this one might be my favorite. I'm not sure. The only criticism I might have is that it maybe plays a, a little long. I mean, it's a double album. So, uh, the LP comes in over like 75 minutes, I believe. Yeah. I mean, it's not, but you know, I don't get bored with it. So it's in the territory of the CD era. Some of the albums in that period push that time yeah my three words were psychedelic masterpiece no. <laughs> uh, my, my three words were desolate paisley prairies oh okay the expansiveness of this compared to the uh, the other two albums although access bold as love touches on a lot of these sounds starts to walk down this path 
Are You Experienced, the first album, that's my favorite, but it's the most straightforward guitar wailing of of them. Like uh, I think that the this this all happened in sixty seven, sixty eight, all three albums, and I think that journey, uh, these other, you know, like the Doors and other bands, I think they all kind of influenced each other. So this is kind of more Doorsy in its approach. It's more bluesy and more organ, and kind of takes you on more of a journey. And I picture just these sort of colorful tall grass waving in the wind um smoking the dopes i think there was probably a lot of that going on the paisley um, prairies man yeah paisley prairies totally <laughs> so yeah well i think you guys are, are right and definitely the psychedelic nature of this record and, and kind of the creativity that went into recording this one i think is is very evident and that's a lot of what draws me to it it feels like of of those three records this one embraces like the album format the most and that they really fuck around a lot in the studio, but it also kind of has some like, at least to me, some discrete sections to it. Um, and it kind of unfolds in a, in a more cinematic way, which, which uh, as album nerds are a big fan of. So, I mean, let's quickly go through kind of like, I guess if you were to buy this on vinyl, you know, it'd be a double, double LP. The A side is very much kind of like introductory moments on the record. It has some like tight rock tracks on it. I would even say. That's pretty impressive. And then we get into kind of like the B side of that record. A little bit strange as I was one that stood out to me is kind of me being the the outlier of the group. It's kind of a Noel Redding led song. It has a little bit more of a Brit rock, Brit pop sound almost to it. What was your thoughts on that one, Don? That's a little more maybe up your British taste. Um, no, you're right. Uh, and actually, I mean, it didn't uh, occur to me at the time, but, uh, um, yeah, it, it, that coincidentally was one of my favorite tracks. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> I don't dislike it. I think it just kind of stands out a little bit on the record as, as yeah. far as like fitting in with the rest of what's going on. Once you get to the second half of this record, things really start to get much more in the psychedelic space. One of my favorites is 1983, A Merman I Should Turn to Be. Why don't we play a little bit uh, from that now? I'm so high right now. Use <laughs> <laughs> that somewhere. Yeah, that's, it's, it's just it's such a spacey track. There's all these weird effects that go in and out of it. You know, Jimmy's talking about like going into the ocean and kind of like going away. The whole record is really kind of painting him as this mythological character of himself, I would say. And, and that he's, you know, he's like a voodoo child. He's born from these gypsies and they don't quite understand his origins. And now he's like, there's all these like kind of sci-fi themes being interwoven here. I found it very, very psychedelic and very, very interesting to me, especially, you know, in college, like this was right up my freaking alley. And then you get into the D side of this record, which I think arguably is the strongest and maybe has some of the, the most noteworthy tracks. Um, among them is Voodoo Child, Slight Return, which is maybe Jimmy's most popular song or most uh, copied song. And that all of the riffs on there, I think, are pretty common to hear in like uh, guitar stores, uh, people trying out different guitars. I think the most popular song for them, and I think probably the most notable on this record is their cover of the Bob Dylan song, Along the Watchtower. So a little bit. So let it start talking falsely now. The 
Yeah, that, because of movies and everything else, all I think about is the Vietnam yeah. War when I <laughs> hear that song. The Forrest Gump featured that, right? Uh, yeah. There's a lot of Hendrix in Vietnam. Either yeah. Platoon or uh, Apocalypse Now. I think Platoon, maybe. I mean, the 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 most impactful v- Vietnam movie is Forrest Gump. Come on. <laughs> it's like a five minutes of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> he got shot in the buttocks. I mean... <laughs> um but for me man this is probably one of those records i would you know if the house is on fire i'd probably grab this one for a lot of other ones just because I've, I've gotten a lot out of this i feel like it's been pretty formative in my musical tastes um I, i'm just I, i'm a little disappointed i mean if the house is on fire jimmy would want you to let that album be on fire and you kneel down next to it <laughs> and celebrate the flames <laughs> Yeah, totally. Uh, for those who don't know, Jimi Hendrix lit guitars on fire and, and did that. And then you would stand next to the fire? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of fire going on in this music. I never thought about that. All right. So, Jimi Hendrix, Electric Ladyland, up for Ainhoff nomination. Obviously, I nominated it, so I'm going to say yes. Over to you, Don. Thoughts? Yeah, Yes. Yeah, yes. That's a <laughs> Yeah, yes. Yeah, yes. Wow. Yeah, of course. I mean, any of the three would have been a thumbs up. So, yeah, it's in. Yay. All right. There we go. Congratulations to Jimmy and the entire experience family. Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. And now it is time on the program when we ask ourselves a question. Gentlemen, Desert Island albums. Probably a couple of Ainhoffs would make it on that trip. How would you go about picking yours? Better bring your Ainhoffs on the island, man. I hate to be on an island and not have an Ainhoff. <laughs> uh, I think I've been thinking about this a little bit lately. Uh, if you had like five records, let's say, I try to have like one for each mood. Like, here's my psychedelic record here's my kind of sad record you know here's my get up and go record kind of thing so i could always have something to accompany me on my different island tasks what do you think don i mean i guess it depends am i alone on the island you know <laughs> oh you want to bring some marvin gay if you got your wife with you right <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, a good, that's a good book um yeah so i mean i i suppose if i was alone i guess i would you know, probably want things that maybe are a little more introspective. Uh, although, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if I would be doing, like, would I bring the ABBA record to, you know, dance in my underwear? Um, if I was... <laughs> you know you would. Dance like nobody's watching. That's it? You're done? No, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, got my, I got my joke in, and then <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for me, I, I guess um, I hadn't really thought about it the way Andy put it, but that's a good point. If it were five, yeah, I'd probably want to have like a Thinking Man's album, like maybe a Beatles album or something. And But I definitely would load up on like thrash metal <laughs> albums. Yeah. The energy, right? I mean, especially if I'm alone, I would need to have something that makes me want to move, right? right? Motivate it yourself. Motivates me. For like, survival. 
when I have trouble on Fridays doing my cushy office from home job, I can't wait for it to be five o'clock. That's when Metallica or Skid Row or something like that comes out to push me, work through a project, finish a thing. Yeah. You need energy so, to crack the, co- the coconuts. Right. That's right. <laughs> well, and, you know, um, make sure that they're on CD so you can use the CD to reflect the sun to start a fire easier. Oh, that's a good call, man. I didn't think about other uses of records. Very smart. And, and what, kind of, what kind of sound system do we have uh, on the island? You know, is it... Whatever the professor has built for us. Uh, oh. <laughs> That's a Gilligan's Island reference, yes. people. Some coconut shell headphones. Those would be yes. nice. Yeah. Coconuts pretty much can provide yeah. anything needed yeah. with stereo equipment, from my understanding. <laughs> All right, people. Like, you know, people always talk about Desert Island albums. Right now, you don't need to tell us what those are, but feel free on Discord. Let us know how you would pick them. That's albumnerds.com slash Discord. Okay, for my nominee... We fast forward to, to 1987 when country music, of course, was at its peak. That's sarcasm. Uh, <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs> <no> joke. <laughs> <laughs> this is an album called Trio, uh, and it's by, uh, you know, three famous, uh, singers. Dolly Parton, uh, born Dolly Rebecca Parton in, uh, 1946 in Pittman Center, Tennessee. Linda Ronstadt, or Linda Marie Ronstadt, born also in 1946, uh, but in Tucson, Arizona. And Emmy Lou Harris, born in 1947 in Birmingham, Alabama. So these, uh, three voices got together. Finally, I guess they had a- attempted to do this in the 70s and they never could get their schedules together. Uh, and, uh, they were also on different record labels, but they finally figured it out in 1987 and put together this album called Trio. Uh, so here's, uh, here's a track called Farther Alone. Farther alone so that's actually, uh, a folk song that's that's been around forever. Uh, in fact, if you guys remember that uh, Elvis gospel album we did, he did a, a rendition of, of Farther Along. Uh, one thing I, I like about that track is, you know, each of them sing a verse, right? So you get, you know, each of their their voices and then they come together, you know, with, with the harmony in the chorus. And yeah, so my, my three words to describe the album were sweet country harmonies. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're celebrating uh, on this album or the blending those, you know, three uh, amazing and, and unique voices together. I, I realize this is probably... Uh, a surprise pick for the the Ainhoffs. What, what do you guys think? My three words to describe this album were "back to the country." This is 1987, and I, a lot of these songs, this whole thing feels like it's from 1887 in terms of the pictures that I'm seeing in my mind when listening to it. Like pure old timey country is is what I hear. 87 was a big year in country music. Things were changing where it was becoming this neo tradition was starting to come in with artists like Randy Travis and the Judds and George Strait. And this fits in really nicely with that. I had not heard this before. But what what I want you to get to at some point here in the conversation is where the hell did this come from? Why? How did this enter your life? You know, that's what I'm fascinated yeah, I was, with. Yes, wondering the same thing. How did this end up on Don's radar. I, I've mentioned that pop music in America class I, I took in college. This came from that. So I, I don't remember if he was just demonstrating harmonies or, or something, but but he played a, a clip of this album and you know I ended up buying it. Yeah, I just kind of fell in love with it. Yeah, I had not heard this record previously either. Just kind of an interesting 
situation to be when you're considering something for a place of such honor as the Einhoffs. You gotta have like, you know, a week or so to get familiar with the record and then try to decide its its merits. I don't know. I'm still kind of on the fence, to be honest with you, in terms of the Einhoffs. But my three words for this record are humdrum harmonies of heartbreak. <laughs> so I think the harmonies, as as you guys have kind of touched on already, are kind of like the most notable thing on this record. And in theory, it sounds like it would be good having these three great vocalists, you know, kind of the upper statesmen of their time. Stateswomen? States people. States, states folk. And they do all sound good, I think, especially when they're all individually singing the verses, kind of like on that, that track you played there, Don, where they kind of do all come in separately. Um, I think that works really well, but while this record is just them all three of them singing together and i found that to be kind of just very homogenous and maybe just a little too much of that and especially at the beginning of the record i thought that was a little bit humdrum uh, one thing that i learned listening to this was just how much i really appreciate dolly parton and i've come to really respect her in the last few years um she's fantastic and the songs that she wrote on this record i think are some of the standouts and her performances on here are awesome but as a whole i'm still kind of mixed yeah, so there are two uh, Dolly Parton uh, originals on the album. There's uh, The Pain of Loving You uh, and uh, Wildflowers. Yeah, Wildflowers is the one that I was thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a good, that was a good impression. <laughs> hey, come on, that's not all how I said. Okay, well let's uh, let's hear a little bit more from the album. Uh, not all the tracks are, are down tempo. Uh, here's um, those memories of you. Yeah, it's uh, got a little Dixie Chicks vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they pick up the pace like that, it, it gets ten times more interesting to me. Just just a little bit of a beat. <laughs> so, like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love the the arrangements and the the musicianship. You know, there's little pedal steel guitar in there. Um, so you do have some, I, I guess, big names in, in studio musicians at the time. Albert Lee uh, on acoustic guitar. Dave Lindley did mandolin and some of the other uh, folky stringed instruments. Uh, and Bill Payne does some piano and, and organs. Uh, yeah, you know, I think I think the instrumentation really is top notch I, I, I wish there was more of it it was my my biggest beef with that like there's a few moments where they they kind of give way with uh, the vocals but for the most part it's more of a accompaniment uh and let's uh, let's listen to another track this is uh telling me lies that's probably my favorite one on the album yeah i mean yeah. I, I love that that you know, Linda Ronstadt at the end does that that line. That's that's awesome. There's just something. I mean, all of them have such unique voices. You know, Linda Ronstadt just has just a, a warm, you know, feminine voice, and uh, you know, Dolly Parton kind of has uh, maybe a more like a younger sounding, you know, sort of. Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, her her voice is very down home country. And Linda Rodstadt's is a little more formal. Amy Lou Harris is a little more folky. It all kind of fits together nicely. I mean, I tend to think that, you know, an album that goes in our Hall of Fame probably should be somewhat influential. And I, I can't really, you know, speak for its influence. But, you know, as you said, you know, the Dixie Chicks, you know, I mean, the the, the sounds like a, a Dixie Chicks uh, record. Yeah. I mean, I hear artists like Miranda Lambert uh, have this 
this is kind of the seed of that sound in in my opinion yeah so i don't know uh, i'm i'm curious uh, how you guys will will come down on on this one oh by the way there there is a second there is a sequel to this uh, i think it's called trio 2 uh, which is also worth listening to it's not it doesn't quite capture the the magic as well but they they do do an interesting version of uh, neil young's after the gold rush so definitely check that out uh, but again uh, trio what do you guys think so i'm nominating it i i say yes dude this is a tough one because influence and things have to come into play and never having heard of it before, it took a lot of listens and earphone listens to try and get a real feel for it. It's part of why I wanted your context of how you discovered it and like what it means to you. So for the reasons of this is not a morose British guy <laughs> and this is very important album to you, uh, a cornerstone album that I'm going to say yes. Wow. It helped you grow. <laughs> Would you say this is a, a Desert Island album for you, Don? Would you grab this one in the... I w- you know, it depends how many I could pick, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> if I could pick a thousand, <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it would be it would be in my first, uh, you know, group of 10, probably. I yeah. Know. I don't know. I'm just stoned. I, I really... Uh, I'm not sure. In terms of my vote here for this one. Part of me is like, yeah, it's obviously very influential and I do respect all these artists individually. As an album on its own, though, I am... Say it. I don't want to be that guy. It's like... Be the, be the first be no. Jerk. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know it's going to come back to me. The audience can always save the, the record. Got to be true to yourself, Andy. Alright, well, let's see what, let's see what the album audience thinks. Uh, I'm going to decide not to decide at the moment, but if the audience is overwhelmingly positive, then I will not stand in the Boo. way. Do we allow that? I don't think we do. So it's like your the audience is your proxy. Yeah. So essentially, Andy is saying no, but he's whispering it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's it's up to you guys, the audience. Uh, so hop on Discord and you know tell us whether you think Trio belongs in the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. And now a word from our sponsor. Us. This is friendship. Pure, unadulterated friendship. Oh, yeah. Are you a music fan? Love the album format? Need to spread your musical tastes? Think Trio belongs in the Album Nerds Hall of Fame? Join us on the Album Nerds <laughs> Discord, nope. albumnerds.com slash discord, to talk with like-minded nerds, suggest show topics, and find out what's coming next. All right, so it is my turn to bring an album to the album nerds hall of fame maybe we'll see yeah we'll see i'm going with a a 10 year old album from 2012 which is the newest the most recently recorded album that would be nominated uh going with one of my favorite bands rival sons the album is head down and we're gonna start off with the opening track that kind of sets the pace for the first half keep on swinging Okay, so that was Keep On Swinging from Head Down, Rival Sons. They are an American rock band formed in Long Beach, California in 2009. Jay Buchanan on vocals, Scott Holliday on guitar, Dave Best, or Bestie is now the bass guitar player, and Mike Miley, the drummer. I love this band. This is their third album. It's the album I 
first heard of theirs uh, in 2012. It was one of those rare moments for me that doesn't happen as often as it did when I was younger, where I became obsessed with the band. I heard the record and I'm like, holy shit, what else have these guys done? I watched every video. I read every interview. I was totally in. That's hard to come by uh, <laughs> these days, especially for older gentlemen like ourselves. Hmm. So the three words I use to describe it are blues rock, new roads, because uh, this is influenced by Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, all of that stuff. You can hear those elements, but I think they paved their own path, and this is where it really starts for them, uh, the albums after this even more so. Gentlemen, head down. What do we think? Well, my three words are blues rock statement of purpose, because this record, I feel like, is really where they kind of come into their own definitive sound. I, unlike the dude, was aware of Rival Sons prior to this record. <clears throat> that's, that's up for debate. <laughs> so I might even say I recommended the Rival Sons to the dude before he heard this record. And he ignored the recommendation. Well, I think a lot of people do that, Andy. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Good> a <laughs> well. I you know anything you mention, it's like oh, this must be a DJ of some kind. I'll, I'll pass. Uh, well, <laughs> let this be a lesson. <laughs> so I, I I generally enjoy this record. I listened to it quite a bit over the last ten years. Hard to believe it's been ten years since this came out. I know. I know. <laughs> There's plenty of solid, just blues rock tracks, especially on the, the first half of the record, you know, just cut and dry, three, four minutes, in and out, catchy riffs, great vocals. I really think his vocals are maybe the, the strongest part of their of their sound, especially on this record. Um, but I think what really sold me or and still sells me on this record is the more quiet or more stretched out moments. They do give things time to stretch out a little bit that really kind of show some of the range and uh, some of the, the soul, I guess, or almost, I won't be like gospel sound, but it really does reach down and get sort of like biblical at times and and more of a soul vibe going on, more spiritual, I guess I would say. Um, which I think works really well. Can be cheesy, but I think they pull it off nicely. Don, what do you think? Okay, well, the, the three words I, I chose to describe the album were the dude abides. Uh, and so uh, what I, what I'm saying, what I'm saying here is that, um, I mean, this is like the, like a quintessential, like dude record. You know, that's just like, uh, your opinion. Nice. Man. So if we had our AI bot or whatever, create an album for, for the dude, this is, this is what it would, would come up with. That's true. You know, it has that, that bluesy energy, you know, it's like rootsy rock. It's thoughtful and deliberate, but it's not like pretentious, you know, and it even has some like Jeff Buckley falsetto <laughs> in it. Uh, so it kind of, you know, checks all the boxes. Um, but beyond that, I mean, I was really impressed with, with this record. When I first turned it on, I'm like, oh, here we go. It's the Black Crows again, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But no, I mean, there's, there's so much more to it. I mean, they're obviously, you know, great musicians, but it's, you know, it's a very, you know, a, eclectic mix of, of songs. You know, the, the vocals are, are great. You know, the, the lyrics are, are interesting. Um, yeah, I, I don't really have, you know, anything bad to, to, to say about the, the record. All right. So why don't we jump into uh, a song that's a little on the slower side? It's called Jordan. It's about losing people in your life and kind of this uh, 
tribute to people that you've lost and their their journey after death. So I chose that particular piece from towards the end of the song where, you know, it's all contemplative at the beginning and about how the rest of my life without you is hard to conceive and, you know, very heartfelt. But then at the end, this soaring sort of, I'll see you on the other side, you know. And uh, I think it's just well communicated. It starts off very funeral dirgy and then sort of a celebration of, of the soul being free and going to the next thing. What'd you guys think of this one? It really builds up nicely. I think that, that that's the moment on the record where they kind of do say to come out to step, step back a little bit and let things play out a little bit more. And there's like almost like a gospel vibe by the end of it with like the backing vocals there. And I think that's one of the standout tracks for sure. Yeah, that was, that was one of my favorite tracks. Um, you know, I do, uh, you know, it makes sense, you know, a song uh, about loss or, or death, um, you know, would, would kind of have that, that gospel-y, you know, spiritual vibe. So, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's one of the early highlights uh, on the, on the record. Yeah, it's the small details in it, like, uh, the person that's on their deathbed or whatever is, you know, comforting the person that's going to lose them and saying, hey, look up and to the third star from the right straight on till morning when you want to think about me, you know? Just little poetic details that could, I'm sure, a lot of people who've lost people listen to this song, and it, uh, I'm sure tears would be shed. You know, it is very, he taps into those things very well. It's such a different vibe from... You know, what's the what's the song where he's like, you know, I my dad told me not to pick on my sister or whatever. You know, that yeah. Was- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the vibes change a lot um, yeah. throughout the songs. <laughs> they go from serious to being like more about just drinking and women and stuff. The track All the Way, yeah, it has this weird but cool storytelling thing where it's about when he was a boy, how he was bad and his dad taught him lessons and that he's learning to be a better man from learning from his mistakes. And at some point, he'll go all the way, whether it's in his career or in his relationships. He'll be able to, by learning lessons, he'll get to the finish line. He'll do things right. What about the uh, what about the bank robbing song immediately following? The heist. Yeah, the heist when it's talking there, it's a story about I'm going to rob a bank and he tells exactly what he's going to do and it's the only way to bring the bread home for his family. Like, it's just... We need more bank robbing songs, I think, in general. In our- yeah. Yeah, it sounded like a heist movie from the 70s yes, or something. Totally. Nava, the little instrumental that gets used later on the final track, True, which is the one Don was talking about with the more falsetto delivery that sounds almost operatic, almost ch- like churchish. It's it's a beautiful song. Uh, Manifest Destiny Part 1 and 2, big, crunchy, crazy guitar stuff. Uh, Scott Holiday really pushes the the fuzz box stuff, like really, really, really. Uh, I love that style. I feel like they probably absorbed a lot of records before they made this one because they recorded this in like a few weeks. And they, they were turning over records every year for a while uh, with producer Dave Cobb. Dave Cobb, super producer. Oh my gosh. Just put him right in the in-house right now. Yeah, he should be. We should start putting producers in. But, you know, Chris Stapleton, Sturgill Simpson, on and on. Anyway, let's listen to Run From Revelation. I love that, uh, that use of turn of phrase where it's about 
experiencing life and it's moving too fast and you want to go back and start over again. But using the run from Revelation, the final book in the Bible, and run straight back to Genesis, the first book in the Bible, it's not religious music, but it's blues tradition kind of to bring in those references. And it's just awesome. I mean, just little touches like that make this special. His voice sounds like Paul Rogers from Bad Company at times. Yeah, I mean, I think the ob- like the obvious kind of like similarities in sounds is like Led Zeppelin, like their first couple records sounded so Zeppelin-y. But The Doors, again, I think come up. A lot of similarities here between, not a lot of similarities, but some similarities between Jimi Hendrix and the Hendrix record and, and this one here. Sure. This wouldn't exist without Jimi. Yeah, totally. But yeah, this record sounds much more modern to me and much more kind of like 2010s kind of blues rock sound and... I think, you know, by combining some of those gospel elements and some of these spiritual themes, they really kind of stepped on something new and, and original here. And I think it is it's pretty uh, it's pretty cool. And this album's long, right? I mean, it's like 57 minutes or something. But yeah, I, I was actually kind of, you know, the first time I listened to it, I think I was mowing the lawn and I was listening on headphones and I was actually shocked that it was over. So, you know, it didn't it didn't play long to me. That's a big lawn, dude. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> well, I have a you know multi-acre estate. No, yes, of course. <laughs> All right, so Rival Sons head down. I nominate it for the Album Nerds Hall of Fame, gentlemen. I'll take those yeses now. Well, I mean, I really like this record, but uh oh, <laughs> is it up there with you know Jimi Hendrix and? All these other classics we've discussed is, is what I'm debating on. Like, is it, you know, are we putting Rival Sons on the level with like Stevie Wonder and Pink Floyd, Billy Nelson? I think we're putting it on the level of albums that album nerds like ourselves love or might love. It's not about like, what are, are the uh, Ainhoffs just going to be a bunch of albums from the 60s? Because that's, that's where we would be stuck if we didn't. <laughs> Look forward. Uh huh. Uh huh. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna say yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I. I guess I. I struggled with with the question um, as well. Do these guys, you know, belong next to you know to Hendrix um, and and Stevie Wonder? But yeah, I mean, I guess that's not necessarily what what this is about. And you know, as you put it, you know, with. Um, the trio album and me, you know, I mean, this is, uh, you know, a record that has obviously been a favorite of yours and been meaningful to you for, for 10 years now. Um, it sounds like Andy, you know, loves this, this record as, as well. I mean, I, I think I prefer this to the other things I, I hear in rock and roll, you know, the Kings of Leon and, um, you know, even, even Foo Fighters and, and, you know, Greta Van Fleet. I, I think I, I like this one better. So I'm going to vote yes, not just because dude uh, voted for, uh, uh, for my. <laughs> <laughs> now I feel especially shitty for voting no on Trio. <laughs> yes, that's what, that's, that's the fun for us. All right. It's time to contemplate what we've learned today, other than Andy hates Don. <laughs> this whole Ainhoff experience, you know, you got to scratch that itch once in a while. And, uh, but we don't, I just don't think there's enough. We're not bringing enough to the table. I think, you know, when we occasionally get a chance to bring three albums, that's great. But what can we do to get more albums in the Album Nerds Hall of Fame? Yeah, so we have been talking about, you know, offline, actually, on the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash Discord, about um, just making the a kind of part 
of the regular show format. So I think going forward, as we're talking about any particular topic that the wheel suggests, we can, we'll just put a little check next to the album as being nominated and we'll just discuss the nomination as part of a regular show. So no more Einhoff episodes going forward, but we will still be hopefully ushering albums into the hall. I mean, we might at some point have to do a little cleanup because I, I think there are some records that we've done in the past six months or so that probably deserve a, a, a nomination. So we'll, we'll have to figure out how to get those in. That's true. I agree. That's true. And that's one to grow on. I'm your density. I mean, your destiny. All right. Well, it's that time again to uh, give the wheel of musical destiny a spin. If you remember previously on the wheel of musical destiny, we were trying to figure out what the hell to call this this lovely, talented AI bot that we've uh, hired to pick our destiny here. Um, we are now taking suggestions for her name up on the Album Nerds Discord. We can also do so on Facebook and Instagram at Album Nerds. All right. Let's spin that thing. I mean, let's spin that wonderful. Musical Wheel of Destiny. So appreciated and talented. Your musical destiny is to explore albums from the U.S. Bicentennial year, 1976. We're going to be picking albums from the year 1976. Okay. Any genre, any style, any artist. Not relating to the Bicentennial itself. Not necessarily. That would be a bonus. Can it be a British record? Donna's wondering. <laughs> well sure i mean that celebrates our our uh revolution away from those folks so why not <laughs> that's true what's your favorite record from 1976 what do you think belongs in the hall of fame to what else are you listening let us know join fellow album nerds on discord at albumnerds.com slash discord you can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com or leave a voicemail at 585-210-2454 Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Album Nerds. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. So thanks for listening to the Album Nerds podcast. We really appreciate it. Tell your friends how great it is, please. And we'll catch you next time with some albums from 1976. Thanks for listening. You're dead to me, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my name is Don... You kill my album. <laughs> Prepare to die. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs>